Take me out to the ball game Take me out with the crowd Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks I don't care if I ever get back Cause it's root, root, root for the home team They don't wait, it's a shame Cause it's one, two, three strikes You're out at the old ball game Welcome to Let's Get Two The baseball podcast from the fans' perspective now, here's your host, James Christopher. And welcome to Let's Get To. I'm your host, James Christopher. And we've got a fun episode because it is June the 8th and baseball is getting played very soon. The Bismarck Larks, they have a part of the Northwoods League. They're putting together a series of pods and the first one's supposed to launch on June 15th. So we're going to be talking to John Bollinger from the Bismarck Larks about the big pod plan there. So very excited. Amy Johnson from the Corpus Christi Hooks is here to talk about her cooking acumen because the Hooks have been doing some cooking stuff. It's been a lot of fun. So we are just here to have a good time. And, you know, we, we actually had a very politics heavy series of episodes last week. And it isn't always my intention. One of the things that I think comes from, I'm not even going to say being a vet, because I don't know a lot of veterans who are overtly over the top political. But one of the things for me, and maybe again, because of having served whatever, but I try not to be too vehement about anything. I try to not to, I try to like listen to both sides. And so, you know, I appreciate the fact that people seem to have stuck with us. I appreciate that no one tuned us out because we had a political conversation. And I really do believe that you should be able to listen to everybody and have everybody talk as long as they're speaking with respect. So thanks for sticking through all of that. I can't promise that the politics aren't done, but I'm always going to try to present them in a way that is at least respectful, even if maybe you and I don't agree. Like I said, we got a fun episode coming up. We're very excited about this Northwoods League, the pod plan. So, so far, we have the Bismarck Larks, and they've said that other pods might emerge. We're very excited about it because of all the things that's been going on with COVID, it seems to be one of the most thought-out things, one of the most thought-out plans as far as how to handle sports. Acknowledging the fact that, one, they live in a very different area, of the country than New York or LA or Houston, Texas or Atlanta, Georgia or or all these other places. And they know that their stadiums are smaller, that they can socially distance pretty easily and still deliver something that people want. And you know, it's easy it would be easy to dismiss the need for baseball or sports for my friends who aren't sports people. To them I would say I also move, miss movie theaters. We have to remember that we are people and not robots. And sometimes we need things to take our minds off the monotony. I am very concerned about so much of what's going on in the world. Me taking four or five hours a week to work on a baseball show doesn't mean I care less. It means I'm a human being who needs time to think and process and take a break. And so I really applaud the leagues that are doing their best to get something going. I can't say the same thing for Major League Baseball. It it is interesting. I never could have imagined in my wildest dreams that we would be sitting here today with really no clearer view than we were on March 15th about when baseball would happen. 
And that's going to become a theme for the show until we actually get a plan or until they just say, you know what, no plan. We are going to do our best to stay positive, to keep bringing you news on when baseball will happen. I will be out for the Bismarck Larks in their pod games for a doubleheader in July. I'll be out at the Macon Bacon in July. I'm looking to go to the Colonel League that the normal corn belters have put together. So we're going to find baseball. We're going to talk about baseball. We're going to show you baseball. Now, speaking of baseball, I want to do a shout out to who we're wearing. I am, and, and, I, and I'm doing a special dedication of this shot to Isabella Artaza who is one of my favorite students of all time. I taught her since she was in fourth grade. Now she's, I think, a junior in Georgetown in Washington, D.C. And to Blaine Bybee, who are you are going to see or hear and see on our football show that's getting started in August. I am wearing the Lake Monsters, the Vermont Lake Monsters soccer-style jersey, and I'm dedicating this jersey to you two, two people that I love and care about for very different reasons, but so much in my life. So I'm wearing soccer jersey just for you guys. Isabella, don't have a heart attack. So while Isabella's busy not having a heart attack, stay with us. This just in, news from Minor League Baseball. So we do have some breaking news. There's been another proposal from Major League Baseball to the Players Union. And I can tell the plans aren't getting any better because they're just getting more convoluted. I, I don't know what's, I just don't know what's happening. I, I don't know how to necessarily even read this stuff anymore. Uh, Jeff Passan is reporting that a high-ranking baseball official is saying there will be baseball. And I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means a 48-game schedule. I don't know if that means... Hey, we're playing baseball and you, and essentially then the players go on strike or get locked out and then they get replacement players. I don't know. And I don't even necessarily know what I, which area I prefer. I know that it's simplistic to say that they are arguing over amounts of money that any normal person would like, would flip over. And, and look, I, I, uh, there's a part of me that, that gets that. There's also a part of me that's a capitalist and understands that. You know, if you're a player, you're only, only so many people could play center field and hit leadoff home runs like George Springer. Not everybody can do that. If everybody can do that, George Springer would not be able to demand the salary that he's going to be able to demand next year. So I understand capitalism. I also understand that the owners have all the financial risk, or at least a lot of the financial risk, most of the financial risk. And I think it's simplistic to say, well, I make you know, under 50,000 a year. And so therefore you should get out there and dance for me. But what I can't understand, what I can't fathom for me, and maybe this is as I'm learning, watching so many things go wrong in the world and watching people I know um, as I lose respect for them at, at a rapid, rapid pace. One of the things I'm learning is I just see the world differently. And to me, I don't know how players can continue to complain and, and owners can whine about lost money while more and more America falls deeper into a depression that's going to be hard for generations to get out of. And I, I don't see how, I just don't see how they can do it, how they can't come up with some common sense, hey, here's how we're going to ride this thing out for two months because we're going to do it for the duty of the country. And I think that's part of it for me. I think I think there was a generation of 
baseball player in particular who did look at things with a certain degree of duty, a certain degree of I am I am in a country where I get to do this and make this amount of money. There aren't a lot of countries that let you do that. And there aren't a lot of countries with the sheer number of professional sports that let you do that. And so the idea that both groups can't put the squabble aside for a short amount of time for the players to say, okay, we're willing to take this hit for the owners to be completely upfront about what they really are losing, if anything, and say, we're going to do this for the betterment of the country. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that because um, the money's a lot of money because it is what they're worth, right? The market demands is what they're worth. I just don't see how they can look at their fan base that maybe for three hours could use a distraction from coronavirus, the racial injustice and the protests in the, in the protests and the, I'm not going to give the riots a, the, the benefit of the doubt because I don't think it's being caused by the people who are actually trying to affect change with Black Lives Matter. So I might be wrong, but I'm not. It, or the people that, like myself as a military guy, who feel like the role of commander-in-chief is continuously being degraded. For three hours, play a kid's game and make a lot of money doing it. So definitely check out Jeff Passan. He's got news on it. Um, I suspect that the players will dismiss it. But I actually am starting to feel like we might have some kind of deal by the end of the week because they simply are running out of time. Raiders of the Lost Diamond, a look into baseball's past. And this week on Raiders of the Lost Diamond, we're going to have a little bit of fun because we're going to stay in the great state of Texas and we're going to head up north to the Metroplex, to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And no, we're not talking about Rangers because you know we're pretty anti-Rangers on this show. I'm not afraid to admit it. We're going to talk about one of the most impactful teams to play in the minor leagues in the state of Texas, the Fort Worth Cats. Now, the Fort Worth Cats, again, one of the most iconic members of the Texas League, used to play as the Fort Worth Panthers when the league started in 1888, and they played in the Texas League off and on until 1964. Now, from time to time, they merged with teams from Dallas to become teams like the Dallas-Fort Worth Rangers or the Dallas-Fort Worth Spurs, but the Cats is the iconic name that most people know. They were affiliates at times of the Indianapolis Indians, the Chicago Cubs, and the Brooklyn Dodgers. What's interesting about the Fort Worth Cats and plays to how important they are, five of their teams were among the top 100 minor league baseball teams of all time as selected by the National Baseball Association, which is quite an accomplishment because they actually only won the Texas League three times. Fort Worth was also a popular stop for major league teams during the preseason when they would play some exhibition games. So people in Fort Worth got to see some young ball players. Maybe you've heard of them. Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Rogers Hornsby. Ring a bell? None of them played defensive line for the University of Texas Longhorns at that time. So now the Cats left Fort Worth in 1964, in many ways paving the way to the Rangers, and it created a really big void in Fort Worth for professional baseball. But these Cats had more than one life. And the name Fort Worth Cats came back as an independent baseball team, initially as part of the American Association. They kicked off in 2001 with a new ballpark built on top of the old ballpark. And what's kind of cool is that home plate was put on top in the exact same position anyway of the original home plate. 
So I guess you can say that home really was where the heart is. No, I am not paid for these jokes. So they played starting in 2001. They won three titles up until 2014 when they basically folded. They didn't fold the league they were in folded at the time. Though the Cats officially ceased operations in 2014, there is hope that these kitties have one more life. Reports are that independent baseball could be returning to Fort Worth as soon as 2021. And if they have any sense, they'll look into their past and they'll bring that Fort Worth Cats moniker back one more time. Who's on first? The Let's Get Two Team of the Week. So we're excited to welcome to Let's Get Two on our Team of the Week, John Bollinger. He is the general manager of the Bismarck Larks. John, how's it going? I, I'm calling it the roller coaster, James. You know, uh, which is, you know, a, a kind of a wild ride, and, and right now it's uh, it's kind of a fun part of that ride because we got an opening day in sight. But uh, who knows where this roller coaster is going next? So, but I, I'm I, good for now. I tell you what, I mean, before we jump in, like your career, um, for 44 years, I'd wanted to go to spring training. I was scheduled to go on March 17th. Oh, no. Yeah, I'll go next year. Uh, but talk to me a little bit about you. Like, how did you first get interested in baseball in the first place? I know um, you're a fan of, of, you know, I think the most iconic team in baseball. Sorry, Yankee fans. Oh, I like um, it. Okay. Here we go. Tell me a little, a little bit about you. Yeah, so something from with me about birds, you know, I got the larks, and then obviously uh, <laughs> you're referencing the St. Louis Cardinals. So, you know, I grew up born and raised St. Louis, Missouri. Always been a big baseball fan. Again, my dad would take me to games, and remember Ozzy doing backflips, McGuire's home run, you know, race. Um, I, I went to. I know you're from Houston. Obviously, my favorite game ever was the Edmonds uh, Edmonds walk off home run in oh, Game yeah. Six uh, when we went into the Game Seven, and obviously the World Series in '04. So just always been a baseball fan, but but quite honestly, was never never that good. <laughs> I played <laughs> played uh, JV ball, and you know I could I could feel with the best of them, but man, I couldn't hit. And so uh, obviously, then I went on to college, realized I need to get a degree if I want to do anything with my life. And there is where I really realized my love for um, not just the game, but entertainment. And you know, you and I were speaking before this, uh, your love of minor league baseball, because it's not only baseball and at its purest, its finest, it's guys wanting to compete and get to that next yeah. level they really have that dream but god do we have a lot of fun and my favorite right. compliment is uh fans will go john i forget who won tonight but oh my god we had a good time you know and so i i really started realizing that was something i could do for a career i uh, was very fortunate to uh get to intern with the springfield cardinals double a team of the uh, uh st louis cardinals sold tickets really fell in love with man i can my job's calling people and getting them to a game and selling that fun and the hot dog and everything. So did that, had a, a, a good, uh, a good run, ended up getting into a grad school at Ohio university. Um, got okay. so lucky. They got one of the best sports ad masters programs in the country, got to meet a ton of people. And then you know, it's a kind of a weird deal, but you know, sports is about who, you know, and, and I, I got the luckiest thing in my life outside of marrying my wife. Um, Got to meet a gentleman by the name of Dick Raditz Jr., who is the chairman of the Northwoods League and alumni of the program. And I'll never forget, Dick told me at a function, he was my, my mentor and still is to this day, but he said, uh, John, he goes, if you want to, someday you might be able to own your own baseball team in my league if you work hard enough and you get the chance. And I said, I don't know what that means, but I'm, I like this guy <laughs> and I'm going to come up and see about this. So he got me my first job. I, I started the Kalamazoo Growlers baseball team. In Michigan, my, my buddy Brian and I started that, built it up. It was a very successful franchise in the league. And 
And then again, kid from St. Louis, Missouri, I thought Michigan was the coldest I'd ever get. <laughs> Dick, I'll never forget, called me on the tee box, or not called me, but we're on the tee box two years in Kalamazoo, and I'm dating my wife. Everything's going great. And because John, I got a team for you. You got your chance to own your own team. I'm like, Dick, I'm going. What? I'm where? Where? When? How do I do? You know, what do I got to do, man? He goes, Bismarck, North Dakota, and just hit <laughs> pipes a 300 yard drive down the fairway, and I'm like, what? <laughs> what? And uh, and that's how I got out here. And thank God, man, because it Bismarck is a cool community, an amazing town, amazing people. And we've had a pretty good run the last couple of years. So very thankful uh, for all that. But long story, sorry. Uh, but, oh, that's uh, great. That's how I got in, man. And I, I just I just love it. I love the entertainment and the baseball. So I'm actually real excited for a lot of reasons because of getting up there. And, and we're going to get into the fact that you're going to have baseball. But I can't imagine the best place to leave Austin in the middle of July than to go to Bismarck, North Dakota. I'm telling you, you know, there's something about it. I, I, I would I would tell you, don't come up here in the winter. No, no one, uh, no one from here would tell you to come in the winter unless you want to realize why they call it North Dakota tough. Um, <laughs> but uh, the summers are beautiful, you know, and really it's a great place um, to visit, you know, wide open spaces. We got great parks and great facilities and great, great events. And, uh, and, you know, temperature gets to, you know, like 91, that's it. And right. it's funny, you know, you know, Houston and St. Louis gets humid. So 91 to me is like, I'm loving it. Our fans are like, oh, my, you know, <laughs> that, that, that cracks me up. I like to give them a hard time. But uh, beautiful place in the summer. I think that's the best part of summer collegiate baseball in the Northwoods League is we play in, the, you know, some beautiful states, beautiful facilities. And at that time of the year, there's nowhere else you want to be than up here in, in the great uh, uh, upper Midwest, you know. You know, so doing, dealing with collegiate summer league and – you guys have a, a whole different challenge than affiliated minor league baseball and even independent minor league baseball in the sense that your players are students. When you saw COVID-19 start, at what point did you go, this might be a thing that I have to be concerned with? Because like I told you in our pre-talk, I was ready to go to the airport on March 15th thinking it's not, I mean, because everybody else said it wasn't a big deal. At what point did you think, okay, it's a big deal and it could affect Cause you can't keep, you can't extend, right? Like you have to, you have to get your players back to yeah. school. Yeah. Again, it's a long, probably a long answer, but I'll short it up. But my wife, we're the same boat. My wife and I, we, every time we always make a plan and make it to go on a trip into February, early March. Cause I know when I get back starting, you know, mid March, it's on through the September. So we actually were in Jamaica March 5th um, through, I believe the 11th. And that was when everything changed. I mean, stock stock, you know, COVID-19 in the United States, stock market crashes. I mean, travel, international, all these things, think NBA cancels with the tabby. Literally every day I'm going to the pool and coming back and going, what is going on? John, stop going to the pool. (laughs) Well, and I, you know, when I got back and it got real, when I got in the airport, it was, uh, you know, my spidey senses were up and it was like, okay, oh my goodness, this is, you know, because it's never happened to us in in the U.S., you know, I mean, from my experiences and, you know, and, you know, so it got, I knew it was like something was going to happen. And then the next day uh, we got in the back and, and our, our, both of our businesses said, Hey, quarantine at home, you know, be smart. And we're like, we're, you know, of course. And, you know, I told our employees office shut down that week. And I think the real thing for me with the season was, okay, well maybe the summer will be fine with the NCAA canceled the, uh, the, some of the tournament in their season. So soon I thought, man, this is, this is, uh, this is big, you know, and obviously we learned so much every day and week heading into that. And it, and it started to get real scary, obviously for the health standpoint and, you know, gosh, you know, God bless our first responders, our healthcare providers. And for those that have, have suffered 
went through this and had gotten sick or and, and, and lost someone, I, you know, we just, all of us feel for you. And, you know, and it, it, it just was hard to understand. And I, I think there was that plus the livelihood, right? I got 11 full-time employees and a hundred yeah. game day staff and players that rely on us and coaches and our fans. I mean, fans love this. They need this in the summertime sponsors and it, it started to hit. So, so immediately from there, we started thinking, okay, contingency plans. If this happens, this, this happens, this, because at no point in time did we say we're going to quit because it truly was a duty to us for our players, our employees, our fans, everybody. How can we do this safely and still in a fun way if we're allowed to in our state? And that's what kind of got us to where we are today. So before we get into the plan, part of me was was found this whole thing interesting from like a macro perspective of, you know, you guys are in North Dakota, uh, Texas, big state spread out. So our communities never hit, got it hit as bad. Thank God as like New York in LA. Yeah. How much of it was, was you guys having to say, listen, I know that it's there, but we are here in our, and, and we're in a, a wholly different circumstance. Well, that's what it is, you know? And again, we are fortunate North Dakota. They're kind of the joke here is we're professional social distancers. There's one person per 11 square miles, I believe. Right. I mean, it's so, so while though we have our, you know, kind of our larger communities, you got Fargo about, you know, 300, I believe 300, um, 50,000 people, the Metro Cass County, Burley County is the second largest, about 125 in our Metro. Um, we got Morgan County and Mandan right next to us. So, you know, we have some larger communities, but we are more spread out, a little more insulated. And, um, you know, we, we knew pretty quickly, this is going to be kind of a state by state thing. And in the talks with the Northwoods League, I think it started to come in fruition as you saw states respond to this differently. You know, again, you know, the Northwoods League, it covers six states, yeah. two different countries, so, so much to consider. I mean, Michigan was, you know, had a real uh, issue and they were really shut down. And so the league realized quickly, if this is going to happen, it's going to have to go on a state-by-state basis. We're going to have to do this in coordination with our state, our local health officials, and each team is going to have to kind of figure this out in a pod-like setting. And so we, unfortunately, um, you know, outside of Cass County, even Cass County, look across the country, we had really low, you know, low cases, our, our positive, uh, the things that they measure, you know, daily positive rate cases were very low. And so to this day, you know, we, we've had we've been really fortunate. And so that allowed our state to reopen smartly a little quicker and gave us the real guidance because without the governor's guidelines, we're not talking today. I, I you know, we wouldn't want to make a decision without, um, you know, state and local guidance to safely do so. Okay. So let's talk about what the pod then explain to me how the pod plan yeah. came to, to fruition and what it is. Yeah. So again, I, I became a, aware uh, probably early May I was on a committee that was uh, giving just recommendations to the governor's office and the Department of Health and Commerce as they were crafting guidelines. And uh, it came appeared to me quickly that, okay, we might have a chance to open. It's going to be limited capacities. We're going to have to make separate certain rules. But even a ballpark, you know, they're, they're big. There's wide open spaces. Sure. So we can have what you consider maybe even a larger group, but people aren't really together, you know. And so um, when we found that out in early May, immediately we went into action, you know, talked to the Northwoods League and said, okay, if we have to operate by ourselves, how can we make this work? Um, that's when this idea of, okay, what if we had three teams in one location? You know, and there's, there's, you probably know this out in the suburbs of Detroit, there's a similar league that's done something like that, pretty innovative. And so we took on and said, what, what if we, we did that here? Um, and so again, went to our coaching staff, we actually recruited an entirely separate team. Um, so we got, you know, the Bismarck Larks, the Bismarck Bull Moose, and then we had Thunder Bay, Canada, because of the border crossing, some other things that happened. Right. We called them and said, look, 
you know, your season looks in jeopardy, but if, you know, if we can get your players and keep your coaches with jobs and your players get to play, would you do that? And they were so awesome. They said, we, we, this is for the players. It's all about the players. We're going to look, we're going to have them go there with, for you guys. And so they became the, what is now the mandan of flicker tails. Love uh, it. And, and it came to life. You know, we made very quickly again from March. It's not even been a month since this all started, but we have a, it's a 48 game schedule. The guy, the guys play each team. It's 72 home dates now officially at Bismarck municipal ballpark. Um, and, uh, we're going to crown one, one, one champion out of the three teams. So, uh, so yeah, it, 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 that's kind of where we, where we came up with it. And, and I've, and I've read on the, the Northwest league's press release that other, other areas in the Northwest league might be able to adopt similar pods is that is that still yeah yeah i'm really proud of our league and our league is so cool because again they know safety is the number one priority um but they're also nimble and and adaptable enough to realize quickly you know again it it was like okay how how are you going to play minnesota teams minnesota's not open and immediately you know we started talking well what if we have three teams here what if minnesota teams play minnesota team and you know again a lot of leagues might go wow logistics and and, i mean you know dick raddatz gary hoover the league office said Let's go. You know, how you got, what do you need? How do we do it? You know, do it right. Do it safe. What do you need from us? And we quickly, that started that conversation. And then now obviously each state as their guidelines uh, allow, they are now kind of forming um, what that looks like. And then, you know, can really start hopefully giving dates once, you know, governor's offices or local health departments kind of give that guidance. But we were fortunate. The governor just approved Friday in North Dakota. We're officially low risk, uh, which means we can have gatherings up to 500 people. Um, with, with a lot of social distancing guidelines in place. Um, if we get to a new normal phase, uh, we'll actually be able to have, uh, there's no limit on capacity, but you still have to cut off rows, separate pods, you know, two seats spacing. So James, the max capacity will be at this year after, you know, doing the Tetris game that was building the system, which that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, we, uh, we're going to be at about 40, 42% for the whole year. That I, that's the newest numbers I just got. So it's not, uh, this isn't a, you know, great situation. It's not ideal. I mean, my staff working 72 games are going, Oh my, you know, what is going on? But, uh, at least we got baseball, you know, and that, that's, that's yeah. what it's about. And I'm coming from Austin to North Dakota to see some baseball. That's how bad I need it. Um, you talked about you got so the thing with the collegiate summer league is, you know, all minor league baseball is for the fans, but you are serving, players like you actually play a development role in players and stuff like that how important are you guys now that one like you said college baseball season was kaput many summer leagues aren't going to happen now I know the pioneer league I guess was it the pioneer league just shut down um how important is it now for players that are now trying to get drafted at least in 2021 to get a little extra tape thanks to you guys yeah I think it's important you know we we wanted to take all of our stakeholders and, and what are their interests and do they want to do this? I mean, why put this on if no one wanted to do it right? But our talking with our players and our coaches, I mean, there's just a fire to play. These guys are just, I mean, it's been a year of disappointments and cancellations. And again, their health and safety is so important. But, um, you know, we, they, they, we could tell once we put the guidelines out there and told them what we're going to do. I mean, we, we were able to recruit a second team within a week. I mean, you know, so guys wow. want to play. You know, they, they know, they know there's risks. They know, you know, obviously we can't, you know, do everything. Um, you know, they, by being a part of this, there's going to be some risk, but, uh, you know, these guys know and they want to play. And, uh, you know, so they, they were excited. That got me excited to want to try to build the best, safest plan possible for them. So I, I think it's really important. 
So, John, thanks so much for being on Let's Get To. We will see you in person in a couple of months. And until then, you stay safe. I do want to give you one compliment. You were smart enough to recognize your awesome wife at least twice in this interview. And I've been married 20 years, man. That's a great skill. Don't lose it. Well, she just came down too. So th- I'm, you saying, I think she heard you. So I think there's a big compliment to you. I, I owe you a free, uh, a free beer when you get up here. On deck, the Let's Get To interview of the week brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. We're excited to welcome the Let's Get To Amy Johnson. Amy is the ballpark entertainment manager for the Corpus Christi Hooks. Amy, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for being on. It's truly our pleasure. I wanted to start out by talking a little bit about how you got into baseball in the first place. Sure. Um, So I, I went to the University of Texas and when I got there, I knew somewhere I was like, I want to work in sports. I want to do broadcast, you know, and I I joined our student TV station there and I just had so much fun working there that I, as soon as I graduated, I took an internship with the hooks and that was in 2014 actually. Um, so I lucked out, I graduated in the, in the fall. So I was actually able to jump on right in time for baseball season. So now when I go back and tell other people, I'm like, Hey, if you want to work in baseball, you should definitely look to graduate in the fall. Um, so I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't even know you could work in broadcast and and promotions and things like that. I didn't really know what went into that. Um, but I knew I loved baseball. You know, I went to a ton of games when I was in college. Um, I grew up in Round Rock. So when the express got there, I started going to games there with my family. So, um, baseball was kind of like always my favorite sport in the background. I knew I wanted to work in sports. So I, started the internship in 2014 and I just fell in love. You know, I had no idea I was doing, but my boss, JD, um, who's my, still my boss now, actually, he, you know, he taught me so much and he kind of just gave me the reins on a lot of things. And I jumped into it there. And, um, you know, from then I just fell in love with it. I couldn't imagine doing something else. Did you have a pro team growing up or was it all about round rock? Um, it was always the Astros for me. So, um, my dad, he's from Austin and my mom, she's from Waco, but she moved to Austin uh, pretty quick once they met. So, you know, they've been going to games since, you know, the Astrodome and everything like that. So um, when the Express came and they originally were the Astros affiliate, like they were stoked. So yeah. they weren't as excited when it changed over to the Rangers, but um, <laughs> they were very happy when that got turned around. Yeah, it was the same for me. I mean, I grew up in Houston. I was an Astros buddy, pretty Astros obsessed. And then when I moved to Austin, I was all about the Express when they were an Astros affiliate. And then when they became a Rangers affiliate, for some reason, I liked the stadium a little less. The food didn't taste as good. But then it all kind of came back when they became an Astros affiliated again. Funny how that works. Um, So I do want to talk about one of the greatest institutions on the planet. That is the University of Texas at Austin. I'm staring up here at my two degrees from there. I've got a degree in film and a degree in history because apparently I'm allergic to money. But talk a little bit about not just UT, but college baseball in general. You know, I feel like so many people look down on college baseball. They don't, they kind of disrespect it a little bit. You know, you hear people talk about college football and talk about college basketball, and then it's like you bring up the ping and they do a full body shiver. And why is it that people don't get college baseball? Why do you think people should? Yeah, um, it's a blast, first off. But I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Even earlier this year, um, it was, you know, obviously when we thought we were still going to have a college baseball season, I was, I think I was like tweeting about Texas baseball, which is 80% of what my tweets are. Um, and some of my friends here, they're like, like, why are you so obsessed with college baseball? I'm like, it's so underrated. Like, it's so fun. It's, it's pure passion. Like these kids are playing because they love it. I sound old calling them kids now, but like, <laughs> you know, they're playing because they love it. Like the, the 
dugout atmosphere and everything. And um, my best friends, they work at Longhorn Network. So, you know, I follow really closely along with what they're doing there. And, you know, they're always like keeping me up to date on like interviews and things like that. And it's just, you know, the coaching staff, they really care. Like, you know, they want to be there. Um, and, and it was crazy. Yeah. When I was in college, I had a core group of friends, a couple, couple guys and a couple girls. And it was like maybe like three to five of us. And we would go to the games and like, we were like maybe three of like 50 students there. And it's right. crazy. Cause I'm like, okay, we go to the football games and we're like, it's loud. Like we're there early, like having a blast. And then you go to the baseball games and it's like, where are all the students, you know? But I just, I love the passion. I love, I love college home runs. <laughs> It's just, it's a blast. You know, I have so many favorite memories at the dish. Um, the 2005 national championship year, I saw a no hitter against OU. OU sucks. But I think my favorite UT baseball memory came not at the dish, but actually at my brother-in-law's wedding, my wife's brother. I did the math right on that. But I remember uh, it was like a, that was like the 28 inning game, Austin Wood, I think through 10. And we were all gathered around at the reception trying to get whatever information we could, you know, about the game. And it, it was, it was so much fun. It was like one of those like moments where we're all just kind of, again, at this other event, but really contemplating whether we could drive back from Corpus Christi to get back in time to see the end of the game. But I noticed you're a big fan of Augie Garrido. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your chocolate lab named Augie. I did my research. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. So I always knew, um, like, Augie was just, he's what I knew as a as a baseball coach, like, growing up, you know, because it was like, I mean, I started probably watching sports in, like, the early 2000s and whatnot like that. And then I got really into it when I was in high school. My dad, we, I mean, I grew up in Round Rock, so, I mean, we're like 22 minute drive to dish falk not that i have that memorized or anything um you know so i went to a bunch of games with my dad when i was in high school before i started going with my friends in college and like augie was just always there and when i was um you know working for my student tv station i got to be there for post-game interviews and things like that and it was really cool and um i finally got a dog of my own and like i just knew i was like this is going to be augie and and it was actually um, I think it was a week or two, um, before Augie actually passed away. And so it was one of those like really weird, like full circle things that were, it was just like, whoa. So, so that month was like very emotional for me, you know, and, you know, I may not have been like BFS with Augie Garrido, but it's just so cool. Like how touching he was to so many different people, you know, players, fans, colleagues and everything like that. And I think it's really cool that someone like that can make such an impact on so many people. Yeah. It was truly one of a kind. I think my favorite Augie moments were the was a cooking show he had where he never actually cooked anything. He just kind of ate food. And I, I feel like he told every single taco uh, place that those were the best tacos he'd ever had. So landing the hook's job, did you do the whole winter meetings thing or how did that go? Yeah, actually, funny enough, it was a Facebook post. Um, that's how I got the original internship. So I had um, my family and I and like my friends, we'd come to Corpus here and there like once a year or so just visiting and so in 2013, the summer, right before I graduated, um, me and my parents came down just for a weekend trip and we went to a couple of hooks games, had a blast. Um, you know, I still have memories like from those games. Um, and so I was applying for jobs pretty much for like months right before graduation. I was really applying for like network type jobs, like production assistant, things like that. Like, let's be honest, I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do. <laughs> and then I saw the Facebook post for it. So I didn't really know about the baseball world. 
Um, and so I was like, well, you know, it might as well, like I'm not getting a job anywhere else. <laughs> so it worked out. Um, so I actually haven't been to winter meetings, but I've lucked out where, um, ever since I got full time, I've been to the promotional seminar, which is now innovator summit. And that's a huge networking event for thing for people that, you know, do pr- promotions and broadcasting and, you know, corporate sponsorship, things like that. And I have met so many people doing that. It's been a blast that, I mean, every off season, I feel like I have friends texting me like, Hey, like you got to come fill this job. Like you got to like, do you know anyone that can work this position? So it's really cool that like, I feel like we just have this virtual network now where like, if I wanted to go somewhere else, I probably could like get somebody to get a recommendation. Or if I had somebody that worked for me that I was like, Hey, like I got you. Like, it's really cool that we kind of have that, that network, that system going. And then for a time you spent some time in Biloxi with the Shuckers. What was that like? Yeah, that was really fun. So, so I worked in Corpus as an intern. After that, I worked full time for a year before I took off and I went to Biloxi. So that's the the double A for the Brewers. So, um, they have a much smaller staff there. So, um, I know a lot of people probably know this staff sizes in minor league baseball can range from like two to probably upwards of 50 in some of like the AAA teams. So in Biloxi at the time, like we were around like 10 ish. (laughs) And right (laughs) now here at the hooks are about like 35 or so. So, um, I had the opportunity basically to take a department that was like not there and just make it all mine. So I joined them at the beginning of 2016. Um, and for those that don't know, they were a brand new team in 2015 and they only played for half a season. So they hadn't even hired like a video person or anything. (laughs) So they had like a broadcaster and like a PR person and that's basically all they had marketing. So it was really neat because I got to go in there and like a lot of it was like new to me. Like I had never used the program in design and I had to learn that and create all of our game day programs. So it was like, Oh, I'm going to do that. But like, Oh, I'm also going to be our video editor. I'm also going <laughs> to be our game day producer. So it was cool because I got to basically like help, you know, help them get started and like make a brand and like make a department. So they've grown a little bit and they've got a few people helping, helping there now, but it was really cool to like start something like from the bottom there and be a part of that. So you leave for a bit and then you come back and now you're with the hooks in a slightly different capacity. What are you doing now for Corpus Christi? Yeah, it's it's cool. I've kind of like molded a little bit. It's all sort of broadcasting, um, like video production that kind of has all been steady. And then I've kind of like added and subtracted duties as I went. So right now my, my title is ballpark entertainment manager. Um, so that can be all encompassing of a lot of things. So, um, my primary duty, I tell people, I'm like, I'm just trying to make sure fans have a good time when they're at the ballpark. So, um, a lot of teams they'll have like a promotions manager and then they'll have like a video manager. So I kind of do both of those things. Um, so I'll oversee our, uh, coastal crews, what we call them. And that's our promotions team. So those are the ones on the field. Um, but unlike other teams, I'm not down there with them. So I'm up in the press box because like my passion is, you know, video production and like live production, you know, um, like when I was an intern, I used to, um, tech direct all the games. So I'd be the one on headset, um, you know, punching the buttons, deciding who's on camera. So now I'm the person like behind them overseeing them. So when I, I position myself in the press box to where I can see out the window and see what's happening on the field, but I can also look back and see all of our TV screens and see our production crew in there. So essentially I'm overseeing our live production, which is going to MLB.tv. And it's also the uh, feed that we send out to our video board and our suites. And then I'm also overseeing the on-field games, um, the timing of everything that goes on before the games. And then I've also got what we call our front row and that's our PA announcer, um, our DJ and a couple of guys who are doing scoreboard and stats like that. So I'm kind of watching three different versions of what's going on at the ballpark (laughs) and making sure that those are all cohesive. 
I'm an independent filmmaker by trade. That sounds like way more stressful than what I do. It's not stressful. It's fun. I promise. It's fun. (laughs) It's fun. Well, right now you are cooking and making fajita nachos and, and all that stuff. You know, Corpus Christi has always been one of my favorite organizations, if not my favorite. They were one of our organizations of the year last year. And that's because they always put community first. Again, we're not playing baseball. You're not able to promote normal baseball things. So y'all are doing all kinds of social media and online events, including, you know, impromptu cooking shows like what you did. How important is it to kind of keep staying connected with the community? Yeah, as silly as it is, I like it's giving me purpose right now. You know, people are always asking me, like, how are you doing without baseball? And I'm like, I'm making sure our fans are okay without baseball, you know? So like, what, what can we do to make sure that they're okay with that? So, you know, we're just doing what we can to have fun. Like we want to inform them. We want to keep them informed of what's going on with baseball, like what's going on in the community. And so like we, we have a marketing meeting every morning and it's great. Cause you know, we'll talk about, Hey, what did I eat for dinner last night? But then we'll also just brainstorm, you know, new ideas and stuff. So now I don't know how many episodes we've had, but we're doing a weekly podcast now. Um, and this will we're having our third backyard bash um, and that'll be our blue ghost one. So that's our Facebook live stream. And we've improved that one each time. And now we're finally having like a production meeting for it, which is, you know, something I would normally have 70 of those a year before each game. And now instead I'm doing one a month, but right. you know, we're getting, we're getting guests and, you know, we're trying to find things that are fun for our fans. You know um, the cooking, like, I don't even know how I came up with that. I feel like JD was like, Hey Amy, you should do this. And I was like, sure. sounds good. Um, <laughs> You know, back in actually, it's funny. Back in uh, 2015, when I got full time with the Hooks, actually we had a TV show that aired on Root Sports at the time, and it was monthly. So we produced that, and it was a 30 minute show. It was me, um, my former coworker Chris Blake and JD, and we would just shoot, edit everything. And like this was in 2015, like it was a little amateur early in my career. But there's a few where I would do segments with them. Um, with our chef. So when I was doing this, I was like trying to channel. I was like, okay, so what was our chef thinking at the time? (laughs) So a little behind the scenes, people don't know about the nacho thing. I had never made those before. I didn't have any direction. Okay, JD, go to the grocery store, get all these ingredients and I'm going to wing it. And I was like, you know, that went way better than I thought. I guess I don't need to tell people I was just winging it. (laughs) Well, yeah, you've definitely pulled the old curtain back. No, I love it. I think it's great. Um, you know, and, and as we kind of continue through this late unpleasantness, what do you guys have planned if we're, if we're not able to play baseball, if the double A team for the Houston Astros isn't able to take the bump at Waterburger Field? Um, I know via social media, we're just still pushing that. Like, I think we definitely are going to continue our podcast. Um, you know, more people are going to be going around as they get stir crazy and stuff. So hopefully people will be like listening in their car and things like that. Um, I know the backyard bash, we want to keep that so that that's our Facebook live stream. Um, I don't know if that'll be a monthly thing or, or what, but I think like at the very least it'll be monthly. Um, Cause that's a fun, just like TV type thing. Um, but we've discussed different options. Like, well, if we are allowed back at the stadium, you know, like maybe we can do it from the stadium. We can mm-hmm. showcase different parts of it. Um, you know, and, you know, there's a lot going into whether or not the stadium opens up anytime soon. So we, we just want our fans back. So just brainstorming, lots of brainstorming, trying to, to get ideas to get them out there. Welcome to Let's Get To Unboxed. We've got a great brand for you today. We're going to be looking at the Lakewood Blue Claws. They are the Class A affiliate of the Philadelphia Phillies. And uh, I'm very excited to see what came in. Alakazam, abracadabra. So we got a couple of caps. Now, first, we're going to look at 
one of their game day hats. This is one of the best looking mascots in the sport. I'm a really big fan. Now we've all been talking all year and last year and we'll continue talking about the Copa de la Diversion. Love the look for the Lakewood Medusas. And not to be outdone, they had a super cool t-shirt as well. So we really like the look and I, they have this kind of alternative look to them with the crab hidden under the, the bucket that you used to make a sandcastle. I haven't made a sandcastle in forever. And now when I hear the word sandcastle, I think of Robin Sparkles. But again, a couple of great looks from the Lakewood Blue Claws. Lights, camera, play ball, inside baseball cinema. Sugar is the 2008 film from Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden that follows Miguel Sugar Santos and follows his dreams of winning a slot on an American baseball team. And his talents are a pitcher eventually land him a spot on a single A team in Iowa. But culture shock, racism, and other curveballs threaten to turn Sugar's dreams sour. Now, Andrew, uh, we're joined by Andrew Nelson. Uh, the movie's better than that synopsis with the curveball reference. Uh, what do you think <laughs> of the film overall, man? I really enjoyed it, and it really felt like a uh, a timely watch right now. You know, what's funny is it's a timely watch right now, and it's not timely for why I thought it would be timely when he came up with it. If you remember, I made the joke of eventually in the movie, he gives up at major league baseball and I'm ready to give up too. Yeah, that isn't it. But talk a little bit about some of the things that um, you felt like you learned from the film. And just to give everybody, you know, this movie is one of those indie films that could um, it's, it's listed as being an HBO film, but it was made independently. It uh, went to Sundance and then was picked up. So it it did a um one of those rare independent films that actually goes somewhere having made 15 who didn't i know how that goes uh so tell me just a little bit about what struck you, this film different from you than say something like sure. major league or bull durham definitely um well i the first 25 minutes or so are completely in spanish uh which surprised me but i thought was also really refreshing um since latinx or or however you want to refer to them um players from the Dominican Republic and South America and, and other Spanish speaking countries play such a big role in uh, organized baseball right now. It, it really feels uh, refreshing and um, it was good to see that perspective represented. And it wasn't somebody just speaking English with an accent. Like we had to put effort into it, which, you know, we should have to do more. Right. Well, that's and when you talked about it being timely and it's timely from, I thought the movie was really, really well crafted by, by the creative team, by the directors, because yeah. like it shows that, yeah, major league baseball is a way out of extreme poverty mm -hmm. it is a way out of, but it can also suck the life of, of love of the game out. And I, I kind of sure. like that turn that, that sugar really, although doesn't realize it going in uses the game to get to a better life, even though that better life might not be what you and I would describe as better. If that right. makes sense. Yeah. Um, it definitely shows that it shows that um, even though baseball is a path out for a lot of people, or it seems like the path to, to the American dream for, for lack of any other way to say it, I guess, um, you know, a way out of grinding poverty, um, but that uh, some people still choose to go back. Um, and even like his uh, acquaintance who had been an, a, uh, a major league player before 
was still back there. He was better off, but he was still back in the DR. Yeah. Um, I liked that. Uh, it was a movie that addressed racism uh, without necessarily hitting you over the head with it. Right. Um, yeah. It, it wasn't all, I mean, there was that one fight at the club and uh, I think there was a part where another player said something nasty to him. I, I don't remember for sure. Um, but for the most part, it was more, more subtle varieties, you know, people who didn't bother at all to try to connect with, uh, with sugar culturally. Yeah. It, it, it struck me because I thought the same thing. And I saw the movie much later. I actually didn't see it until last year because Scott McIntyre, our other contributor, kept like, how did we see the movie? But yeah, I thought that too. It's almost that kind of, in many ways, the racism depicted, it's also that kind of liberal white racism that you can't really be mad at. It just shows sure. the fact that it's two cultures. You know, like I feel like there's a lot of depiction of white people trying, but just mm-hmm. not connecting in the right way and it really just shows that it's more of an unfortunate class of cultures than it is necessarily you know that theme stick of 42 and we're going to call you the n-word every five seconds yeah it was more kind of paternalistic kind of uh colonialist sort of attitude where yeah oh you know we're we're helping you out this is a favor it's nice to have you here but right you need to do all the work. Um, so let me ask you this then, uh, two things. One, from a more logistical perspective, what did you think of mm-hmm. the baseball? Did you feel like it was photographed well? Did it feel, you know, sometimes you watch, sometimes it's not so good, sometimes it's great. Where did that fall yeah. for you? Uh, I, I thought it felt reasonably authentic. Uh, okay. You know, I, there weren't anything, there, there wasn't anything too glaringly like, oh, that was just a cut, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. and then how did it make you feel because i know that there's been so much pushback like everything else right like Mm -hmm. and and i don't how do i put this there's always been pushback about the way major league baseballs do baseball teams do recruit the dr in other south american countries yeah and on the one hand i've seen people that come out hard against it they shouldn't do it at all versus changing it and I understand that it's also a business and you have to get something out of it for you. But did that change your opinion on that or the way we kind of approach that recruitment of players? Sure. Um, I don't know that it changed anything for me. I mean, I, I definitely feel like people from the Dominican Republic and other countries should be afforded opportunities in major league and organized baseball. Um, obviously there's some really good baseball players there. and. Uh, and it is a legitimate path out for a lot of people and, and to make a difference, not just for themselves, but for their families and their communities. Uh, I know that David Ortiz and Nelson Cruz do a lot of, of really good work right. in, in the DR. And they wouldn't be able to do that if they didn't have millions and millions of dollars. Right. And, um, so there's that argument to be made. Um, but all the things that happen to American minor leaguers, I mean, it's, it's that ramped up for anybody from anywhere else that's a great point that you know and, and i i do this too where I, i've adopted an astros player like i give him a little bit of when i can um mm. but that that guy can still go home to right mississippi 
it's a much different deal for those players. Um, so I guess as we wrap up then, why do you think it should be – why do you think it should be on people's watch list going forward if they're looking for baseball content? Cause I don't know if you saw the proposal today, but I don't know that we're any closer than we were yesterday. Yeah. I kind of doubt it. Um, I, well, I think it should be on people's watch list because it's so different than your standard American uh, baseball movie. Uh, it's like a lot of it's in Spanish. Um, it shows a, a non-white perspective and it's not, uh, there's subtlety to it, you know, Sugar acts like a acts like a young man, you know. Right. Uh, he, he's a, he's a likable one for the most part. Uh, you know, he's nice to his teammates and stuff, but he makes dumb decisions. Uh, I never made any. But at the time, you know, we've all been there. Uh, it rings true, and it's not. It has things to say, but it's not heavy-handed and cheesy about it. I think it's a great a great point. I do think that the filmmakers really showed a deft hand at really painting a very complicated picture of a complicated situation. They didn't mm-hmm. go white savior and they didn't go uh, for lack of a better term, slave master. And I think that was right. a very great choice for them. For sure. And I, and I really like the way it ended up too. Um, you know, he, it's not this great ring success story but it's not a tragic failure. It's still a happy ending. In fact, in some ways he, he got the love back and that's what matters. And now on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. So that does wrap us up. And, you know, I, I, I'm trying to figure out where we are with major league baseball and whether they're coming back. And, and it feels like the players union and the owners are like Ross and Rachel, right? Will they, won't they? Except it's not Ross and Rachel. Cause that was cool and iconic. It was more like when Ross dated Joey and it was almost like, will they, won't they? And do we want them to, I was thinking about it and I was thinking about the, the scene from fever pitch. And I know I just lost a whole percentage of you because I just brought up the movie fever pitch, but look, it's a good movie. Um, it's light, it's fun, and it shows a love of baseball that not a lot of other movies show. But there's a great scene where Jimmy Fallon gets asked by one of his players, you love the Sox, but the, the Sox ever loved you back? And on the one hand, it, it, it's particularly when you think about when the movie was made with like Red Sox fans and stuff. Yeah, it could seem like it was a hard relationship to be in, very one-sided. But it was kind of, I thought, a tongue-in-cheek look at how fandom is, period. Fandom is one-sided. But now, in a situation where we kind of need baseball, we kind of need a break and something that brings us together and unifies us. And, and, you know, I almost miss people getting mad about the Astros banging trash cans. That's how, like, over this I am. But the 30 owners, and I would guess the rosters of 30 teams, don't care about us. They don't. And not only are they fighting over this and taking our game away when really what should happen is the two groups of people are trying to outposition each other, knowing that whichever, whatever financial concessions are made, we're going to be the ones that are going to have to take care of the, or float the extra bill, if you will. But if you think about the fact that there will be no affiliated minor league, I know they haven't announced it yet, but 
um, as we pointed out on last week's episode, there's no reason to. The likelihood of, it's zero. It's zero that we're going to get an affiliated minor league season. And for some of the 42 teams on the list, they're not going to get another season. And I do believe that minor league, that the minor leagues do care about us. You know, I, I was at a round rock game and did not have my credentials out. And so it wasn't because I had press on, but everybody on down that I ran into from Reed Ryan on down stopped to make sure that we were having a good time. I know it's basic customer service, but if you watch the movie 50 Summers, you can see from the people that are behind the Omaha Storm Chasers how much they care about their fan base. It goes beyond customer service at the minor league level. It just does. And so these 42 cities that are marked for contraction under the cover of darkness, going to have their throat slit. So why are we surprised that the millionaire players and the billionaire owners don't really care about the people who actually make the sport valuable and viable? So we're going to continue to cover it. And I fully acknowledge that that the minute we find out that there's an Astros game on TV, I'm going to watch it. And I'm going to be excited and I'm going to root for George Springer and pray and hope that it's not the last time that we see him in an Astros uniform. But what this experience has taught me is that the whole reason behind this show of showing why minor league baseball and independent baseball and collegiate summer league baseball is so special and important has been nothing but reaffirmed because they are fighting and scratching and clawing to get back while the other two groups seem to not care one way or the other. So again, that wraps us up. Please stay safe. Please stay sane. Until next time, let's get to it.